Like Ron said, you're capped at a certain amount. You're capped at whatever, how much money you can raise. If you only have $200,000 of investors that will pay for your deals, you can't buy more than $200,000. You're capped at that growth point. So you got to get that $200,000 up to a million, up to two million, up to three million, so you can scale your acquisition side and continue to buy. And we can only do that, Ron, through trusted, long-term, sustainable relationships with deal funders. Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Podcast, where we help you unlock your potential freedom through land investing, real estate investing, and entrepreneurship. Hey everyone, this is episode 104 of the Real Estate Investing Podcast, discussing ways to fund your land deals. I'm your host, Daniel Apke, joined again by my brother and business partner, Ron Apke. Before we get into the show, let's go over a question from one of our featured members in our Discord community. Today's question is from Marissa. Marissa asked, any favorite tools for assessing how long properties took to sell in a market without drilling into individual comps on Zillow, Redfin, and Realtor.com? Really good question. So I think when doing this, um, you want to, looking at days on market relative in different counties, whatever, different areas of the country, I think you can do that. But I always, before I choose counties, dig in a little deeper so I can figure out the actual days on market for land, whatever it is. You're not going to be able to get a source for just days on market for land. Uh, if you pull it from Redfin days on market, you're going to get days on market for all the types of properties. So I like your mindset. Looking at days on market as a whole, like if I do a whole state, and I pull days on market for the whole state, it's all relative. So I think that's pretty good data that you're gonna get. So that's what I would do if you have an area, maybe it's whatever, uh, Western Tennessee or something like that, pull all 15 counties in Western Tennessee, pull a days on market, and then maybe the ones that you think are in the right ballpark, and then you can dig deeper. Uh, that That is what we do. So that's I think that's the best way to do it currently. Well, I think she wants like individual comps if you're looking to when you're buying a property, I guess. So you get a property background and you don't know if you want to buy it or not from a pricing perspective. She wants to know how long similar properties were sitting on the market without diving in. So she has all the data behind her and wants to know, is there a way to scrape that, Ron? So you could literally scrape days on days on market it took from sold date. I guess you would scrape the sold date and the pending sale date and the for sale date. Yeah, you'll need some kind of, uh, a lot of these aren't going to be able to do that. Like Scrape Hero on Zillow, Scrape Hero does work with Zillow, but it can't get into each individual comp as far as I know. Um, so I don't, we don't currently do that. I don't have a way to tell you how to do that. So I don't want to make something up obviously, but yeah, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I think that's a really good thing. There's, you can probably create a macro or something like that, but Zillow and all these real estate sites have a bunch of anti, anti scraping, uh, I don't know if you want to call it software in, with them, Daniel, that makes it very difficult to kind of get in and do, uh, scraping because they don't want people doing this with their data. Um, but, uh, I don't know. It's definitely something to look into. I'm actually going to take some time today and look into that, Dan. Yeah, it's definitely doable. I think if you get someone with the data experience around like those people we were interviewing last week, they can find a way to make that happen. There, There's without a doubt a way to do it, and it's probably not that complex, but we're both not data engineers or analysts, so it's a little over our heads with this stuff. But let's get into the show, Ron, funding your land deals. So we're going to talk about how to fund your land deals, why this is so important, traditional deal funding, alternative deal fundings methods. But to start, Ron, I just wanted to kind of talk about why deal funding and sourcing your funds is so important in this business. I mean, it's important because there are so many deals out there and you're going to eventually run out of money. We will run out of money if we just used all of our own capital 
for we we pick and choose when to fund deals ourselves don't get me wrong we pick and choose when we're deal funding other people's deals our members deals our students deals whatever but like you're going to run out of money at some point that is how you scale you scale with other people's money and not by you're going to make them money as well like that's the idea of scaling uh there are so many people who want passive money and that is what the people that you need to get funding your deals. Um, we have a pretty big database right now, or a pretty big list of people who are willing to do this for us. They're completely hands off. They get a 15% return in four months, typically is a very average time. And then they do it again. Like they can get a 50% return on their money with us in a year, opposed to anywhere else, any other market over 10, 15, 20 years, you're going to get an eight to 11% return or so, Dan, uh, in, in passive ways like that, if, unless you're hands on or something but uh it, it's so important uh, you cannot scale you there's such a cap for how big you can be dan if you don't use other people's money yeah and i was doing a podcast i was a guest on a podcast this week ron and his whole motto it just came out it came out on that that podcast came out on monday so if you haven't listened to that with josh definitely uh listen to that yeah listen to that podcast i don't know if he says it on our podcast or on his podcast because we did a swap but he says funding equals freedom in that podcast, and he has 4,500 different units. He has $350 million of assets. He raises over $100 million at a time. It's um, His scale is really, really big, and the, listening to someone talk from that perspective, from a traditional real estate perspective, opens your mind up a little bit. So I highly recommend listening to that if you guys haven't, but funding equals freedom was one of the things I took out of that. If you don't have funding, you're not going to be able to get deals. Go find the deal, great, but you need to be able to buy the deal. So it's so important to build these long-term traditional or long-term sustainable partnerships with different deal funders, whether you're using family, friends, you're using just investors, referrals from them, and we'll get into that soon. But that kind of moves on. Does, does that explain it okay, Ron, of why it's so important? you think that's enough? Yeah, I think so without a doubt. Like It's just there's if you have unlimited amount of people's money – uh, the, the other parts are e not easy, Daniel, but like it is such a focus for our business to grow in 2023, 20, whatever, moving forward. Like we know we are capped with how much funding we have, like by how much funding we have. If we only have a million dollars of funding available, there's a limit to how much money we can make next year versus $10 million available. Like we can do a whole, a whole lot of different things and grow a lot, a lot faster. Exactly. And if you guys are members of the course, we just added a deal funding module that really dives deep into this stuff, Ron. But let's get into the traditional deal funding method for land. This is so much different than alternative like or traditional real estate models like rental properties, Ron, and wholesaling. The ways we fund deals at land is really very, very different from any other business model that I've seen. What we're actually doing, Ron, is we're getting in the deal. So I'm going out and finding a deal then I'm coming back with a deal and I don't have money to pay for it myself or investors or whatever it is. So I go to our community, submit a deal to a people and then in return split it 50, 50, 40, 60, whatever that profit split is. That's the traditional way to do things in land investing. There's pros and cons on both of them, which we'll get into, Ron. One of the main pros being all the risk is on the investor. You are not going to get a traditional bank loan. Uh, you're not going to be able to get traditional partnerships with outside investors because they don't know land with putting all the risk on them. It's just very difficult to do. There's going to be some risk on you for the most part for these traditional methods, Ron. But the traditional deal funding land way we do it, there's zero risk. Yes, you're giving away a lot of profit, but you're also giving away a lot, a lot of risk. 
pretty much all the risk is gone. Like your only risk is screwing over a deal funder essentially and losing that relationship. Like there is not a lot of risk with how we traditionally do it on the on the uh, manager side. And that is why we have deal funders come to us all the time from other places and stuff like that. And they say, I want to be a part of the community. I just want to fund deals. And I, the first thing I always tell them is you need to be educated because how much risk is on them. Uh, you need to be educated. You got to know what you're funding. Uh, there's a deal put in our community yesterday that I was not a fan of. And I know there are people who are reaching out that don't know land trying to fund this deal that had some serious defects. So it's it's nerve-wracking seeing that stuff. If you want to fund land deals, I highly suggest getting educated. We've talked about this quite a bit um, because all of the risk is on you. There's no guarantee with the traditional method of splitting profits. There's no guarantee that there's going to be any profit to split. And I've seen deal funders get uh, taken advantage of in that way who weren't educated. It's a really, really good point. And it is scary because there are so many people with money coming in the community who want to fund deals. They hear the returns. The land returns are great. They are incredible, but there's still bad land out there. You still have to be careful. Ron and I are very careful with what we buy. That's why we've never lost money on a deal. That's why we're averaging over 100% return on our investments over the last few years. We are very cautious on what we buy. There are people out there sending these deals in, like Ron said, with defects, other things wrong with it. Their price too high. The area is too slow, whatever it is. And they just they don't have the experience to know that. And that's when we get into around the trust aspect. That's why you can get when you can get cheaper money is when your investor, your funder can trust you. You've given them five great deals. You've given them 10 great deals. Now I just text their personal phone. I say, hey, I have a great deal, $20,000. Think it will sell for 45 fairly quickly. And they wire the money without even double checking. But to get to that point, you have to build the trust. And that's why, like Ron said, you're capped at a certain amount. You're capped at whatever, how much money you can raise. If you only have $200,000 of investors that will pay for your deals, you can't buy more than $200,000. You're capped at that growth point. So you got to get that $200,000 up to a million, up to two million, up to three million, so you can scale your acquisition side and continue to buy. And we can only do that, Ron, through trusted, long-term, sustainable relationships with deal funders. And the best thing about it is, like, obviously we build a community and a lot of people trust, like, putting their money with us. It's an advantage of that, without a doubt. Like, people trust investing in us. Um, but the uh, advantage of having that trust and stuff is people, they're not, after you do two, three deals with them, they're not going to question deal number four. It's not going to be you have to send them all the due diligence. It's going to be you're going to send them the wire info information and how much money they need to send. And once you get those relationships, one, it's going to save you a ton of time because you're not going to have to sell every deal to them, essentially, which you will have to do first, second. If you try to, uh, if you try to get funding from us on your first deal or whatever, your second deal, third deal, until you have that uh, trust from us, like we're going to do extreme due diligence on it. Um, we're going to have our transaction coordinator go and call the county and make sure everything's up up to par with it. But once you build that trust with us, then it's a lot easier for us to wire money. Like you, you've you made us money in the past. Here's the money. We'll wire this over end of day, whatever it is. Uh, so that's a huge aspect of growing is the trust with these deal funders. Not You cannot have bad intentions. Like you cannot be like, this is a questionable deal. I'm going to send it to X because uh, whatever. Because uh, you're going to lose that relationship, and those relationships are so important long term. Yeah, exactly. And that's just part of putting 100% of the risk on the deal funders. Like, there's going to be more. They might want to hear 
a realtor's opinion. They're going to be more strict on it typically. Obviously, there's some people in there who won't do the due diligence or whatnot, but that's not going to be a long-term sustainable relationship, Ron. You have to give these people good deals and stick to your word. I like to think of it, Ron, for our investors. I really like to under-promise and over-deliver because if you do that for a few times, that money's going to come easier and easier, and they're going to be willing. Oh, they put up 16000 the first deal. Now they're willing to put up 40000 Oh, wow, they have $65,000 they're trusting, and that build that up. So we talked a little bit about traditional deal funding, Ron. I want to move on to alternative, like getting creative. What, how else can we raise money? And this was where that episode on Monday that was released was very valuable, just hearing how he raised money, especially when he was 27 years old. He quit his job. He was a financial advisor. He quit his job. So he had financial advising in the back of his head and how, saw how people raised money and how other people did it. So he started doing alternative ways to raise money for his real estate investments, which was really cool to see, Ron. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, yeah, that's, that was a really good episode. I'm, I hope you guys have listened to that and, uh, we'll link or we can tag in Josh's podcast cause Daniel was on his podcast uh, as well as Josh was on our podcast with Daniel. Um, and with how much, how much assets. And I think that's, that's why we did that episode is because how much experience he has in deal funding and getting other people's money to, and making other people money with their money, essentially. Um, there's so many different ways, like finding friends and family, having a set ROI. Traditional deal funding is paid out when the property sells. I mean, you can get loans, Daniel. You can get a $100,000. We have a $100,000 loan. Uh, that's a year loan that we pay back monthly, essentially. It's at like 15% or something. And that's nothing compared to the ROI we're going to make on that. Um, money is going to be more expensive at first, without a doubt. But you can get, you, you can still have funding connected to deals, but you also have the option of getting business loans and stuff like that, which I don't know, Daniel, what's your opinion on that? It's probably a little more risky because it's the money's not connected to a deal. If you're brand new, you don't want to get a $100,000 bank loan at 15% uh, because there's no guarantee you're going to have a deal to use that money towards in the next month or two months, whatever it is. But uh, what's your opinion on that? If we stay on that for a minute, Dan, the uh, bank loan or whatever, the set loan for a year with a set interest rate. Bank loans are really good, and there's different kinds of bank loans. You can go traditional and just get you know, a 12-month bank loan, or you can get a line of credit run, which only incurs interest when you pull it out. Line of credit would be a lot safer for what you're saying if you don't have a deal. I would never ever, and James Beckman said this in the Discord a few weeks ago, and it stood out, never buy a tool without, a pro without having a project. And I think that same philosophy applies to this, Ron. Never get funds. Never take out funds or pursue investments when you don't have anything to use it on actively. So I would wait till your pipeline fills up a little bit to go out and seek a bank loan because what happens, if you guys default on a bank loan, they're gonna start coming after your personal assets. Your car's gonna get repoed, your house is gonna, they're gonna put a lien on your house. They're gonna come after your personal investments if you guys fail at and get a loan and don't pay it back. So it's risky. That's some of the benefits of traditional deal funding, Ron. 50-50 splits, 40-60 splits, yeah, but you get all the risk. The funder gets all the risks. So I am a big fan of bank loans, Ron, personally, and I think there's a place for them. You just got to be extra cautious. I think combining, like like we're doing right now, like we're combining a lot of different methods of financing where there is some risk on us with stuff like that. We don't have a traditional bank loan. It's a friends and family loan that I think it was uh, 
a line of credit out of a house or something, they got 4% and we're paying them 15% essentially. So they're making 11% on the money that was just sitting equity in their house. Um, so that's what that loan looks like. We pay them back monthly and then they put the money back in. A lot of times they put the money back into specific deals with us. Um, but I really think it's important to, you cannot put all your risk on yourself. And I don't think in the long run, I think putting all the risk on funders at first is probably a good thing with the traditional uh, deal funding where all the risk is on them. It's going to be hard to get other types of money at first, um, but then kind of balance, balancing it out as you scale your business uh, with uh, some more risk on yourself probably with bank loans or with different type of deal funding as well as the traditional deal funding with uh, more risk on the funders. I agree. And this is kind of how I would approach it. If you guys are looking for alternative methods to raise money, I would go to friends and family, create a presentation, pitch them, whatever you do in person, online, on Zoom, whatever it is, give them an offer. You can get X amount of percentage back within X amount of months. You can do it based on the principal. So you can do it based on the amount of land you're purchasing. If you're buying a $100,000 piece of land, that's the principal. So you can do it a percentage based on the principal, or you can do it based on the profit split, or you can do it based on whatever one's greater for even better, uh, less risk on them. So you can do principal or profit, whatever one's greater. And you gotta come up with that, get creative with it, pitch them, have an exact thing, get your deal funding form uh, format in the contract before so they can see you're official. They don't wanna see some gibberish. Spend time on the contract, really, really dial down on that so they see it's a safe investment, act like you know what you're doing. That's what I would do, so friends and family, and then at the end of it, Ron, don't say, are you guys want, willing to invest? Say, do you guys have anyone who would be interested? I love that from that podcast that I would listen to, Ron, or was on. He said, approach it like, do you have anyone who would be interested? Most of the time, they're going to raise their hand if they have money and say, hey, I'm interested. I'm right here. But a lot of times, if they don't have the money now, one, in the future, they will have the money. Two, see if they have referrals, if they know anyone, and then just keep scaling it from there. Because what happens is you use one you under-promise, over-deliver, they're gonna to wanna to refer you to more people, Ron. And I think that's very important. I wanna share a quick example with Scott um, Brandamore from our deal, Ron. So Scott was a friend of mine and we went to college together and I kinda of pitched it to him, seeing if he knew anything. We just got together, kinda of networked a little bit, had a couple phone conversations, really, really casual. And he said, send me more information, kinda of like that. I asked him who would be interested. He said, send me more information, I'll get it to people I know. About a month or two after sending him to that, he followed up. He's like, hey, if you have any smaller deals, that'd be great. I'm, I'm willing to invest. So we sent him a deal. He invested, Ron, within you know a week or two of, of that. And then what happened was we sold the property within a month or so, right, if I'm correct? We sold the property in a month. And then literally the day it closed, he wired his money back to another deal. So... That's just the under-promise, over-deliver. He wired it back to another deal. We're getting good returns to him. It's good money to us. It's a win-win situation. We built the trust there. He was happy, and he's referring other people now. He said, let me know if I can refer anyone, all that, and it just spirals, and your net gets wider and wider and wider on. So to give numbers, I was pulling this up, Daniel. Um, so he, he bought that property with us on, on August 24th. Um, he wired over the money. The purchase price was $16,900 and some change. 
we had an agreement. So our agreement with him was when the property sells or after eight months, we'll give you a 15% return. So whatever. So there's literally no risk other than us going bankrupt. There is no risk on him. And obviously bankruptcy, that is a real risk. Um, but other than that, there's no real risk on him. He's going to get, if we're staying in business, he's going to get his money after eight months at worst, 15%, um, or when the property sells, we went under contract on 10, five, I believe 10.5, so 8.24, 10.5, you have 45 days or so, and we closed on 11.3, and he got wired back $20,000, uh, just under $20,000 from his 16.9 uh, he initially put in. He literally put that $20,000 right into a new deal after that, and he's going to make another three, dollars $4,000 from that, hopefully before, he's. it's going to be before eight months without a doubt based on the deal, so it's just they're turning their money fast. They're not doing anything in this recession in a, in a market like this. There's not a better place for people to put their money. So if you have relationships like that, people with money pitching it to like Dan, I heard that from Brandon Turner, Dan, who's a, uh, uh, used to be the bigger pockets host. He said that same thing. He's like, I'm not a salesperson. I always kind of pitch people and then ask like, I have a hundred, hundred unit mobile home. It's a killer deal. Do you guys know anyone who's going to be interested? And if you're not a salesperson, I think even if you are a salesperson, act, not pushing them towards it and kind of asking like that gets them more interested almost. I agree. And to be honest, like they're great. It's great to have an investor right there, but an investor knowing other investors is even greater. Like if they can referral. So it's a win-win, like asking them directly because people know someone with enough money to invest or someone who has some cash sitting around who wants to put it to work. Like someone knows everyone, right? And it just, it's really just starting with one, one creates three, three creates 10, 10 creates 40, and it just spirals from there. And that's how you do it. And you gotta treat them very well. Get your systems and processes in place. So you're checking up, giving them updates, things like that. But you always wanna under promise, over deliver. That's really all I had, Ron. The main key here was to just get creative, Ron. Find more money, find cheaper money, build long-term relationships focusing on those really, really long-term sustainable relationships and just spreading your risk out. Use multiple methods, do deal funding, submit deals to us and other investors, uh, use family and friends, use traditional banks, spread it out so all your risk isn't in one place. For Before we end, Dan, for you guys who are new and just starting land investing, I really suggest you partnering with an experienced land investor first. Um, you do not want to screw over friends and family to start. An experienced land investor is going to be able to look at the deal, give you their opinion on the deal, and then obviously if it's a good deal, they're going to end up partnering with you. Um, so I wouldn't like... Don't try to get too cheap too early. The most important thing is getting some cash flow going, getting some deal flow going, and then kind of spreading out your funding. But I just want to add that uh, two cents in before we get finished. Yeah, that's a really, really important piece. I'm glad you said that, or else people would have got off here without doing a deal and started pitching. I would minimum do 10 deals successfully and 10 out of 10 on them personally before you go. And don't go to a deal funder and ask for their opinion and then go someone else, the friends and family. Do not use a deal funder as a uh, someone and then go to someone for cheaper money. That is not the way to do this. That's the way you're going to screw over relationships long term. Um, it's one thing if you are going to end up funding the deal yourself or whatever, but don't go ask for opinion. I need deal funding on this. Can you give me your opinion? And then get the opinion and then go somewhere cheaper. Like that is That's another way not to do this, Dan. Well, you'll just get blacklisted, like the land community. We have 500 plus people in our free Discord community. If you guys are uh, in that, you know that there. It's a small community. People know each other. Investors talk. We get on a webinar. We get on three meetings a week with everyone. If someone burns someone else, 
you're going to get blacklisted and good luck for those long term. This might work for two months, but try in two, three years, see what happens to your business. So it's just not a way to do things. But other than that, Ron, I think that's all. If you guys haven't already, please leave us an Apple review and share this with a friend. If you guys got any value, hit the share button, copy and paste it into a text, send it to two or three people for us. We try to keep this free and push our mission of creating freedom for people. And in order to do that, we really would like you guys to share it if possible. Other than that, guys, thank you so much for joining as always, and we'll see you guys next episode. Thanks, guys.